This podcast was produced on Ghana Yerda. We respect First Nation people around Australia and acknowledge the Ghana people as the traditional custodians of the Adelaide Plains where the festival centre is located. We honour their spiritual relationship with their country and we do so in the spirit of reconciliation. Writing is a peaceful activity that it demands my attention, which is nice. So I can absorb into it rather than be absorbed by it. For instance, it's like in there, sit down, focus, capture, melody, words, put it together, sit back, examine, change, correct, do it again, in there again, bang, bang, gone, done. It's, it's out now. It's Libby O'Donovan here. Welcome to the First 50 podcast, a 50th anniversary celebration of the Adelaide Festival Centre, the home of performing arts in South Australia. This magical venue, which I have had the delight of performing in over the last 25 years, has housed many historical moments and thousands of incredible artists. Australia has a rich pool of homegrown talent that we love to celebrate. And I can think of very few Australian singers who are more well-known and celebrated than our guest today. Transcending genres and convention, today's guest has brought audiences across jazz, blues, punk, soul and music theatre. For 40 years, our guest has performed in over 8,000 concerts and produced 30 studio albums which have won them Arias, Mojo Awards, Ruby Awards, Lifetime Achievement Awards and Hall of Fame honours. Their creativity knows no bounds. Having triumphed as an artistic director of a major arts festival three years running, producing incredible visual arts and being a multi-instrumentalist, they are one of the most highly respected and beloved humans on and off the stage. Hold on to your headphones, turn up your car radios and get ready to hear the strong, sultry and stunning voice of Kate Sobrano, an incredible singer with talents in dancing, acting and directing too. Kate is an Australian national treasure with a huge discography and a long list of accolades and she's here at the Adelaide Festival Centre with me to share her story of success and how the Festival Centre has played a part in it all. Welcome to the First 50 podcast, Kate Sobrano. That's beautiful, darling. Thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure and a privilege to sit and chat with you. We don't get to actually hang out as often as I'd like because I I do find that it's hard to fraternise with some of your peers as players. Either I'm in a different state or we're on different stages. But the times we've shared the stage, it's always been like, uh, it's absolute joy. It is an absolute joy and it's part of what we create in a community of artists together that I think is so magical. And being around stages and being around festivals where you're involved, there's always such a buzz because I've never seen another performer ever create such a positive energy wherever they go. And and it's it's an industry not secret. It's an industry known and everyone talks about it. Wherever Kate Sobrano is, there's happiness, (laughs) joy and a sense of community. Wow. That is one of the greatest compliments I've been paid in my business. Thank you so much. I really took it upon myself when I was the artistic director here to imagine that I was merely like a host in the greatest sense of like a, well, I thought of Mieta O'Donnell actually. I don't know if you know who Mieta was, but in the 80s, Mieta was probably the first of fine dining experiences in the country. So this is the late 70s, early 80s. And she had this 
beautiful restaurant and she would um, nominate an artist that just had a, she had a particular fancy for and she would do this incredible French dinner and then host an artist. And I was one of those artists at the age of 16 that she and another friend of her, Clifford Hocking, a very famous entrepreneur here in the country, they said, oh, Kate's fabulous. We're going to put her on the show and she can do a jazz concert, which is, was my bent at the time. And she put me on the menu as a warm chocolate tart. And when I came to the Cabaret Festival, I thought, what would I want to imbue the most in this space? It would be an environment where an artist can come in and they can relax and be spoilt and they can be shown love and we would action our our love for their work and also the craft. And it wasn't actually what was going up on stage was so much interesting. It was fascinating to me, but it was their personal comfort before and after, which I really wanted to be engaged with. Yeah. And I held a lot of hands and I and I wiped a lot of tears and I shared a lot of joy. And for the most part, I just think I was just sort of like just someone just there, just just that, you know, two feet behind someone to assist in any way I could. So what you just said to me was just lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I, I was watching a, an interview with you from 2013 when you did direct oh, yeah. the first Adelaide Cabaret Festival. Wow, I would love to see that. You said this, you said, since being the artistic director, I've discovered what artists really need. And that is, they really need to be able to be themselves and you need to let them do that. And I love that because that sense of respecting an artist for exactly who they are. And in saying this, I want to take you right back to when you were a kid. It seems as though you have always had that level of confidence within yourself to be exactly who you are. I first must make mention I was raised by some extraordinary women, one of whom was Adelaide's own, Kathleen Joyce. This is my grandmother. My mother, Sheree-Anne Sobrano, who was then Joyce. They were not common. Yes. You know, they said that they were going to make a difference in the way they raised children and the kind of environment that they would create. But its prime purpose was to give homes to artists. Mm. And we did. We had an open house policy. We had Jamoan came for Christmas many years in a row. We had, I was dating for the longest time, Steve Kearney, a great comedian. And the house was always full of these roaming artists from all out of the, out of the country and through every genre. And my grandmother and my mother, it was really, really drummed into us is that you have to respect and honour the person for who they are, not wish that they were someone else and try to give comfort and super and understanding, even if they're not really what you agree is possibly like, you know, something that you can fully appreciate. So I, I wanted to say that if there's anything you like about me, it's all them. And with this confidence and, and this beautiful, strong, matriarchal influence that you had, when was the point where you thought, actually, I want to take this energy further onto a stage? I've always been overly ambitious and very overly desirous of making something of myself. Yes. I don't know whether it was because we were poor, it was because we lived a long way away from anyone, it was because I was the youngest I think being the youngest of a tribe definitely enables you to feel comfortable with a lot of attention and seeking a lot of attention. Yes. And it's just like my cup was never, ever full. It was like more, <laughs> you know, like where can I get more and more attention? And I'm going to say at that time I was probably pretty loathsome to some because I'd just, I'd pick up in a scene, but when I felt I was being absorbed in it, I'd just let it go and move on. Right. I just didn't want to become what everyone else was doing. So I was actually quite enigmatic 
and I was really blind, like I had really, really strong Coke bottle glasses. So the fact that I couldn't see anyone and that I didn't care if I left them made me quite attractive because I wasn't really able to be caught in any web, never. Not of the heart, not socially, not even, I mean, you know, my brother would just like go, you're going from jazz into like punk, into pop, into funk, into like stick to your lane. If you if you don't if you don't get good at something, you'll just be a dilettante. You know, this was my brother's worry for me, and fair enough. It was actually, uh, it was it, I've escaped that yoke for all of my life of people saying, "Look, oh mate, just when she gets good at something, then she pisses off and does something else." But what I think I've more than been doing is is not. I haven't been being glib about it. Mm. Like I'd just see something, I'd grab the thing that I liked most from a pool of things and just collect it, like a bowerbird. I'd just collect the pretty things and the things that I loved and then put them all into this this kind of like a little raspberry drop tin mm. in my mind and heart and just use them every time I get on stage. And I was on stage pretty much as early as 14. Yeah. Then I started to explore with those with those little jewels, what I might be able to do and how I could employ them to be more interesting and gain more attention. Kate has certainly attracted attention, all right. Her voice shot onto the Australian music scene and made a lasting impression across multiple genres. She has been touted as one of the greatest voices our music industry has ever produced. And initially you were blessed with a different sounding voice right from the get-go. I mean, much has been made of your tone and the way you sing as a singer. I love talking to a singer about a singer. I love you so much, oh, God, because you're the only other voice. You and Carla are just, every time we'd come back late night and we were just jamming, I just think the world, Australia doesn't understand some of the voices Mm. that are here and available for us to indulge and swim around in. It's just like, wow. Anyway, I'm sorry, what was the question? (laughs) Your tone immediately was different. I mean, when you do listen to recordings of when you were 15 with I'm Talking, from that early age teenhood, you hadn't finished physically growing and yet your voice had this unique tone already that you can still hear all these years later in your recordings now, you know, your latest album that you've released this year. I was listening to the track Pash Mm -hmm. and listening to your tone and and comparing it to I'm Talking days (laughs) and thinking it's so your tone. It sounds like when you put like Kate Bush and turn her into Barry White by turning it down to 33. That's how I feel (laughs) like my life is going to become, which is totally fine. But I actually, I was given a, a great assessment of my voice by a young girl once on a beach in Byron Bay. And she said, your voice is like sand with rainbows in it. And I'll take it. Just I, I could actually riff on that concept for forever. I think also the colours that you get through your tone. Yeah. I mean, I, there's this warmth. It's not a perfect voice. And then, it's far mm. from it. It's very not, technically speaking, the voice that can do a thousand dances. But what it can do is it can bring people home. Yes. And I think that comes down to what you and I specialise in, and that is telling stories. Yes. Because I don't think you or I ever feel that the song itself is more worthy than the story that it's trying to tell. 
which I think is evidenced in even this reimagining of Pash, which is done with the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, where you listen to that and you hear a different story, even though it's the exact same yeah. lyrics. You really do. And similarly with Sweet Inspirations, your album that had a lot of your, I guess, most beloved songs for yourself yeah. that yeah. you're sharing and you're sharing them from your perspective. Your voice really does colour them like a rainbow in sand <laughs> in a way that tells us all exactly how you feel about it mm. and lets us listen and say... Actually, yeah, I feel like that too. Mm -hmm. It leads me to a, a, another quote when I was <laughs> listening to you that, you that ties in with this and you said, with the artists, one would hope that you present as you are responding to the world around you. Right. And you said that in 2020. Right. And I thought that is so poignant because as a true artist, that's what we do respond to, which is why it's so glorious to hear Pash at 15 yeah, and Pash. The of it's going to be good. You, you'll love it. You'll love this performance so much. <laughs> I can't well, not wait. the performance, but the orchestra. I can't the, the orchestra is really put to task in this record. Yes. Like, Roscoe has done something, in my opinion, which was exactly what I asked him. I could never have hoped it could get so grand. And he gave the orchestra the sense that every instrument would be employed at the height of their skill set because he's, he's just done something so beautiful. He uh, he works and is the artistic director, director for the Bamboos and the Cat Empire and James Morrison's Jazz Academy. He works with the Lincoln Centre and Juilliard graduates and, and yet he alights upon it like a bee on a flower. He's just taking pollen and I guess coming back around, that's probably what I was doing as a kid. It's just like a little bee taking a little bit of something from every flower that I come upon and hope to go and give it to others. I would love to just go back very quickly to ask you a couple of questions about your early career. Like, do you remember your very first paid gig where you thought, I'm a professional singer? I do. I do. I did a lot of unpaid work and then one day I was 15 and there was a place called The Grain Store, which was actually on a strip where there were a bunch of, like, old storehouses in, you know, those massive big Victorian-style grain stores. Inflation was next door and there was another joint and they kind of more or less were like, mm, I want to say nightclubs, like it was really weird. And there's this teenager, this is how life has changed. I'm like, I'm like a Charles Bukowski character. I mean, I just blithely went through, you know, like a cherub and seemingly bulletproof. And this friend of mine says, hey, why don't you come along? It's Band of a Thousand Dancers, the Grand Wazoo. They're looking for a singer. And you're not legally able to be here, so if you can get your brothers to chaperone you or something, you can put up your song. I, I had my own little jazz group called the Hoagie Cats and we performed in, in cafe restaurants and what have you around the place, but this was the first paid job. And I want to say he was kind of smug because he was a little bit like, yeah, show me what you've got. And I cracked out into Natural Woman. And within no, no sex, yeah, I'll buy that. Okay, good. So every Monday night I would sing my hero song every Monday night and I watched this is the power of the businesswoman starting there'd be 50 people one day and then the next Monday there were 150 and the next Monday after that were 350 and then by the end of my experience there there were conga chains of people waiting to come into the Monday night show I'm, I'd like to think it was for me I don't I don't think that that's true, but in my universe, I'm thinking, okay, great. So now I need to start charging money because I'm bringing in the people. Yeah. <laughs> and then I started, got a little bit of pocket money from that. And then before you know it, I had another gig out of that. And then by the time I was 16, I had about 
you know, $450 cash, 500 cash in my pocket every week, which in the 80s, can you imagine? That's a lot of money. A lot of money. Yeah, yeah, it was. I bought for myself at the age of 18 after doing all those live gigs. So this is work, work, work. If you work hard, give yourself rewards. Like yes. I don't know whatever your reward is, mm. whatever your reward is. But for me, I loved fast cars. So I bought as my first car. This is just absolutely outrageous. It was a 1958 Spider. It was a convertible, a little bullet silver with red leather seats, actually, and chrome handles and everything. Oh, my God. Just the thought of it makes me salivate with joy. Did you buy it cash? You had all the cash on the gig? Yes. So good. (laughs) I can personally relate to a lot of the early experiences that Kate had as she grew into the professional singer she is now. I mean, these stories never start off as glamorous, but they're endearing tales of the human spirit. And perhaps it's that thing that gives artists profound insight to express the commonality of the full gamut of human experience. We as artists have the opportunity to share our lives through our songs, as the stories we tell in music are explicit and implicitly lined with our experiences. As a fellow musician, I'm so keen to know how Kate's songwriting has developed and changed through the sheer enormity of her catalogue. I want to ask you a little bit about your songwriting process. I know Mm -hmm. you've written a lot of songs from your early albums onwards and indeed an entire album of Kensal Road, which was an entire album of Originals, yes, yes, which is a beautiful album. I mean, Thanks, you darling. can put that on and just Aww. let it hug you. It's <laughs> it's a gorgeous album. A lot about longing and yeah. missing and being away and traveling, but also that that connection back to home. I really enjoy that album a lot. What is your songwriting process, or is it different for depending on what you're writing? Do you write at the piano? I mean, you play everything: piano, drums, bass, I assume, guitar. You sing. How do you write? Writing is a peaceful activity that it demands my attention, which is nice. So I can absorb into it rather than be absorbed by it. For instance, I'm not that kind of person. If I need, I need something to capture me and own me fully. And that's what writing can do for me. It's like in there, sit down, focus, capture, melody, words, put it together, sit back, examine, change, correct, do it again, in there again, bang, bang, gone, done. It's it's out. Now, that's the hard part for me, but it's the necessary part because it's the thing that enables me to go on stage and all roads for me leave to live performance. Yes. So songwriting is a means to an end. I want to see myself. Where will I see myself with this song? It's never, this is a dormant object. I'm going to sit it here and someone, when I'm after dead, is going to find it and they're going to say, wow, what an incredible library of, of you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't write like that. When I'm writing, you know, you can mention Kensal Road, a little bit interested, a little bit interested, distracted, bored or falling in love, a little bit lost or in between, sanctimonious, inside my head or out of it, knows for the unknown, here I am again, so far from home. That was a plaintive, like, uh, capture that and communicate back when you go home. What's happening? You're here, you're writing, you're seeing Crowds, hordes of people, busy people involved in their lives and they want nothing to do with you. They then don't even see you. So write about it and, mm. and that's how I go. So I start with that and then I see myself where I'll end up with it. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a, it's a gift to be able to write and create 
and to guess it continues your own unique voice in this industry. It does. It, it actually galvanises your voice because unless you tell people who you are, they will never, ever know fully the measure of you. You so must true. find the words. I keep saying to my daughter, read books because mm. if you don't have the language to explain your inner thoughts, they'll always get it wrong. Yeah. They will always get it wrong superimpose their own impressions of you, put words in place of your own. Before you know it, you're defending something that actually you didn't commit in the first place. You know what I mean? Like yes. I always say to her, find language. Language is your portal to your inner universe. Splurge on it. Yeah, that's right. And I wanted to ask about your experience as being the artistic director here at the Adelaide Cabaret Festival, yeah. here at the Adelaide Festival Centre. When you first got the call to be at the helm artistically, mm. how did you feel and what was your vision for that? What did you sort of want to bring to the Cabaret Festival? And what was your idea of Cabaret at the time? Well, first, let me just set the mood. The artistic director, well, the CEO, Karen, of Midsummer, Melbourne, and her girlfriend, Louise, they invited me to lunch and it was, I think, David had just left. Yes. I believe she was the producer of the entire festival, Karen, for the longest time. Were you here when she was here? I definitely uh, would have been, yes. Oh, yeah, you would have been yeah. because you were way back in and way mm. back from the very, very, very beginning. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. And so she took me to lunch and we're sitting there and she said, look, I have a rather unique opportunity to present you, Kate. It doesn't bring to you any personal fame. You might be inundated with more work than you're willing to take on in the midst of your own year of work. But she said, but there's things about it that I think you're just perfect for. This is her wisdom about me as a person, which I really, really loved. Yeah. And I loved her investing. Just that enough was like, yeah, tell me more. And she said, well, there's this festival. And then she explained to me what the festival was and how long it had been going. And, and I knew peripherally, but I hadn't kind of been in it. And I said, so what's the tenure? She said, it's three years. I was like, okay, and how's it going to feel? And she, just because she herself is a really wonderful artist, she gave me the breadth of how it feels. Mm. You get to give 300-plus people jobs in the arts who may or might never get the kind of light put on them, but you get to turn the light on them yes. and talk about them and and then in exchange they will they will remember you and they'll know how well they felt in Australia and, and what it was to be a, a, a touring artist in Australia. And I was going, yeah, that sounds, that sounds really interesting. Okay, cool. I mean, I was just coming in blind, making it all up as I just went along. If it hadn't been for Torben Brookman, I probably wouldn't have actually ever understood exactly what I was meant to do. Yeah. And also there's a team behind artists in this sense the artist, the, the artistic director, there's a whole team that's actually tried and tested, yeah. which is actually the Festival Centre team, Renato, and there's like beautiful Terry DiCera and Douglas. Yeah. They, they've been doing it for many, many years, so it's like a well-oiled machine. But you come in and you are, for that time, the spokesperson representing all those acts and you have to go and attract attention. Yes. And so my greatest currency of all... And I just started pulling out of credit and, you know, yeah. from the whole bank of my life's existence, attractive attention. And yet it wasn't for me. I was so delighted. Oh, look over here. Oh, my gosh. Is she beautiful? Oh, my God. Isn't he wonderful? I just completely yes. was taken. Mm -hmm. And you were during those, I mean, you did three years at the 
Adelaide Cabaret Festival yeah. and everyone talks about those years. It's such a, a wonderful time. You brought oh. over some of the most unbelievable international acts but also you had this great love and energy for fostering local talent and emerging talent as well with the Class of Cabaret Always program. And any time there was any late night club or pre-late night club or after the late night club, beyond time that you thought didn't <laughs> exist, you were there around the piano. I had to do a major detox after that three yeah. years, i got to tell you. <laughs> it was, the three years was a joy, as I said. You've done so many collaborative works as well that have shone in this way where they are on fire with other other artists, yeah, other performers, yeah, yeah. and indeed with the genres that you've chosen to perform, the songs, the type of music that you've sung. You've done that for your whole career and made an amazing whole career out of all of this. True. Very I've had ancient. a very, really, very interesting life. I must say, I think that today though, which is a really great part of social media, is now we have a witness. Mm. There's been an awful lot of you and I putting up some of our best work and only the people there and then saw what we did. True. It is lovely to have a witness sometimes. I did actually, I just, my mum sent me a YouTube of Jastro and I doing The Masquerade is Over in the Late Night Club. I, we don't see review shows like this in Australia, but they, they actually exist in Europe and America and England. And when we bring these artists out from these countries, we get inspired. And I think because our audiences get inspired, they become better audiences yeah. and we become better performers because they're better audiences. And so this is actually an incredible community here for us to, as Australians to avail ourselves to see what the rest of the world's doing. Yeah, I agree. And I think the Cabaret Festival fosters this whole sort of way of being where the audience are just as much a part of the performance as the performer. They don't sit there no. and wait for the break to clap. It's like every moment, it's that vacuum feeling. Yeah. yeah. I really feel like they, that's... They, they will be there. They yeah. will, that you can call it. It's not an accidental thing, you see. Every night of the week, I do maybe four to five gigs a week. And Friday night crowds, if we're in a place where they really couldn't give a shit... Then you have to adopt a different type of personality who's bu who's bulletproof and yeah. who doesn't care, because mm -hmm. it's the tone of the audience. And then you give them the, the old hard rock songs and stuff. I could hear the calling a million miles away. All of this amazing life experience has culminated in the Kate you're hearing now. Kate has proven her ability to work with others to achieve great shows. I've had the opportunity to perform with Kate on several occasions and she always makes sure that everyone in the room is represented on stage in a collaborative way, taking the talents of each person and putting them in the spotlight to let them shine in their own right. And with her new album, My Life is a Symphony, out now, you can follow up this podcast by listening to a snapshot of Kate's full breadth of work backed by the power of an entire symphony orchestra. And if you want the intimate version, Kate is in Adelaide directing and performing regularly with upcoming shows in the Adelaide Cabaret Festival under her direction, as well as a performance with the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra to top it all off. We're spoiled by the lineups of Kate Sobrano in 2023. While other performers specialise, Kate is dynamic and adaptable, continually collaborating to breathe creative life into her own work and others. We're about to see a concentrated chunk of her here. 
And speaking of great performances, there was a very memorable one in this theatre that featured Kate much earlier in her career among many other artists, all celebrating the magnificence of this space. Twenty-five years ago, here at the Adelaide Festival Centre, you performed at the 25th anniversary of this whole establishment. Wow, that and ages me to know that. <laughs> and, and you're singing in the year of its 50th now. Wow. And, and we have a program here of that. Who's going to call me Dame now? The Dame's gone. I want to know when I'm going to get my damehood. I'm sure that it's going to happen. I want it to be in my lifetime so that the, by the 70th anniversary of this building, there'll be the Dame I'll be Dame Sobrano. Sobrano. That's right. And it sounds be a, got a good ring to it, hasn't it? There'll be a room named after you. Oh. There definitely will. But you sang Pash <laughs> at that 25th and now at the 50th you're singing Pash. Yes, well, this is the, the loveliest note yes. to leave with because – my daughter is singing on the record and she is singing on Brave and we oh. were performing and recording it in the same studio that we did 35 years ago. There's the oh. concert, the celebration concert. Look at that, 1998. Also oh, in 1998, that. I just want to read a quote that I found. So this is from 25 years ago, same, same era as this concert we're talking about for the 25th anniversary. You said, one of the things I'm very grateful for is that it's a unique experience for a woman in this country particularly, to have such a long and diverse career. You said that 25 years ago. And look at... A little upstart. Look at you now. But but that's I did testament. think that was a long time to be in. It the was already 16 years of you forging away in the Australian music industry. You weren't like the other girls singing. No. You didn't have the same kind of voice and you didn't have the same kind of approach when you were talking. I didn't talking. have anything the same. God, at that age, I remember it was like... I just really struggled with the fact that I had to sell myself through this skin that I was in. It really, I suffered for that. But when you live through and beyond and you become something else out of it, look at mm. those beautiful clippings. Oh, they're so beautiful. There's so many When clippings. you come through the other side, I, I just performed for Renee Gaya's memorial service, mm. but we're doing, um, am I heading in the right direction? Yeah. For your love and affection. When I was, I was 14, listening to that in 1973 when it was released, and I was thinking, wow, well, what an incredible career she's had. And she's only one, keeping it up there amongst the men, you know, the Barnsies and the Farnsies and everyone, and sustaining herself. I guess that's sort of suddenly where I am today now. And, and yeah. now, like Ida Butro says, you know, if you're going to beat the path down towards your, your goals, you make sure you leave a roadmap and you tell the others where you're and how and where you went and, 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 and make it possible for them to follow you. Don't block it. Don't obstruct it with, yeah. with things that make no sense or mm. just she was great. That's a beautiful legacy to leave. Yeah. And here I'll show you these articles that too. There's so many. Oh. I mean, all of the articles actually from these times 25 years ago mention the way you look. Like every See what single I mean? article does. I know. And it never quit. I watched so many interviews of you where they're talking just straight up giving you all these adjectives about yourself while you're there, oh, no. about what you look like. And it was oh, like, no. anyway. Sexy this, I don't know. Yeah. I was thinking you can't do that now. I mean, you shouldn't have done it then. Just remember, kids, it's just a skin you're in. It changes. You're going to have to... 
the greatest comfort I have is knowing now that finally at this age that I can't be rated by that alone. Mm. But these days I'm well and truly beyond all of that and that's such a comfort, so relaxing. Yeah. And what do you say to young performers? What kinds of advice do you give them? Get a move on, little pony, because only hard work, like you know it, hard work. Yeah. And it's relentless and you must be, again, I use that word, indefatigable. I can't even say it. (laughs) Indefatigable, which is you just cannot find rest until you fulfil your ambition. Mm. So sleep when you're dead. Let's just get going, get going, get going. Move, move, move. Faster, faster, little pony, faster. It is certainly clear that Kate is filled with so much passion and inspiration from the world around her, and her artistic temperament fuels the fires that she lights during her performances, creating a spectacle, a temporal phenomenon that attracts everyone without exception. She's had performances like that here at the Adelaide Festival Centre, and I'd love to know how she views her connection with these stages. What does the Adelaide Festival Centre mean to you, Kate? Well, I I can actually say performing here at the Festival Centre, I have been doing that since I was about 21 from my earliest memory of being here. And it was always part of the institution of of great event spaces and that when you'd go to every state, well, this was the one you'd go to in Adelaide and, of course, then it's equal to Sydney's precincts in the the Opera House and Melbourne at Hamer Hall, etc. But there's this particular reason why I'm very drawn to this one. Clifford Hocking would bring a lot of events here. So I believe Judy Garland was one of the tours that he brought to Australia and Mm. and Frank Sinatra. I know that when when Clifford was touring and it was Clifford that booked me to be part of many festivals, the overarching Adelaide Festival and I believe the Cabaret Festival as well back in the day. I've had an entree into this space in so many different versions of myself. During Cabaret Festival itself, I would run around unchaperoned as it were (laughs) and I'd just go and check out everything and I'd just quietly absorb all of the sound and the ghosts and the memories and the songs and and get a sense of what it felt like to be a lot of um, the wall of fames downstairs that have all of the all of the artists who've been here in and on the walls yeah. you know and all the, the the pirates of Penzance and all the musicals and it's just it's just a bit of history isn't it yeah and so many people have performed here yeah and so many people have great memories of performing here I think because once again this word community but there really is a sense of community here, even in this space, it can feel quite intimate. Even oh, most definitely. Thousands of people. You would remember from the Icon Award as yeah. being a, receiver, a recipient of the Icon Award, and rightly so. Um, it started in the year that I was I was in as the artistic director, and we gave the first honoree, Reg Livermore, his here in this room. And to hear him in this space, a very shy and elegant Mm. man giving a private address to a community here that he hadn't yet met. He didn't actually understand what he was getting the award for. He didn't even know what the Cabaret Festival was. And in essence, he, to me, was like the distillation of everything that's Cabaret. I don't know why it was like so removed for him to understand. I was going, Reg, Reg, you were the first person I thought of. He's like, why? Why? And I was like, Biddy Blockbuster, you were just like so radical and and all the work you've ever done, it's so original and I can't think of anyone like you. And that's the same way I'd describe you. It's just Thank you. there's just no one like you. And I know you'd probably feel the same way about me and that's 
I do, Kate. Well, I do. Yeah. <laughs> there's no one like you. No. You know, that's, that's why you're still here. You're you're brilliant. You're different. And you're constantly reimagining yourself and the way that you sing and who you sing with and what you present to us and your incredibly loyal fan base is now able to say, they're educated in a way where we say, it doesn't matter what Kate does, we're in safe hands. Wow. That's epic. Can I get that tattooed on my ass? Yes, you can. We'll go straight to Hindley Street. <laughs> I have a tattoo from Hindley Street on my ass, actually, yeah. as it were. <laughs> Angry Anderson took me up there one day. We were doing Superstar here in the park and it was my 25th birthday. And he said, you'll never guess, but such and such a girl from Illustrated Man Sydney, the very famed tattooist, is here in Hindley Street. Come on, let's go get a tattoo. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, this area, is it, it's its left an indelible mark on parts of my anatomy. I should probably get like Adelaide Cab Fest on my arm. Like, in a, in one of those big long round ones around here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for a true, you know, to show us your true love for yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. The festival centre here is 50 years old. Where do you see an establishment like this heading towards in the future? Like what would you hope for somewhere like this to be heading? I sincerely hope that they never remove the interior and change it up and turn it into something else. I hope that it'll always have this 60s kind of atmosphere. Like do you find that just the angles of everything is very sort of 60s? And, yeah. And that it's one of the, the greatest sounding rooms mm. in the country. The actual festival theatre itself here. Well, I've I've found yeah. it to be. I don't mm. know about you. Is it is it notorious for anything other than that? I've just heard it's got. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I feel like even just sitting here and talking, the fact that it, it has the volume. See, I really hate when some concert halls are too live because you can't control the sound as well or too dead. Yeah. Like our speaking voices don't have resonance. There just seems to be the correct balance of both here. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Is this your favourite space to perform in in the whole yeah. of the centre? Yeah. Yeah, this is like my home just here. Oh. Yeah. Have you got some favourite memories from the Adelaide Festival Centre? When Gypsy, my daughter, opened our gala and she came through the red curtain and she, we did this roll up, roll up, you know, because Jack Thompson had done this ad for us and we were doing this crazy sort of like Fellini-style helium mirage of imagery and things and then this little girl comes out and through the front and she delivered it beautifully. She didn't falter and she did everything that she wanted to do. Yeah. And then came back and she just, just fell in a heap. She's yeah. like, oh, mum, that's really scary. It's very tiring, isn't it, being so fabulous? I was like, yes. <laughs> but if you borrow from the future, darling, it's all good. Just borrow from the future. Yeah. Borrow. You pay the price afterwards. Who cares? Who cares? Like you said, you yeah. can rest when you're dead. You got it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. So, Kate, you're one of nine artistic directors this year at the Adelaide Cabaret Festival. Can you tell us about what you're programming for the 2023 Adelaide Cabaret Festival? Well, I'm very happy to announce that I've invited Vince Jones. I'm very happy to announce that Vince Jones is invited. Having said that, Vince Jones will do exactly what Vince Jones wants to do. <laughs> <laughs> Which is rightly so. So the two artists that I'm programming for the Adelaide Cabaret Festival this year is Vince Jones and Come In Spinner is like a return to what was a very, very successful soundtrack for a television show. And so he's going to be doing that with Nina Ferrer. 
amazing singer, amazing Vince, because Vince is say, you know, like David Attenborough, you kind of got to steal up on him in the wild, you know. He, t- he doesn't yeah. do many gigs. He's very quiet. But I know that for many, many years he's been a recidivist to the Adelaide festivals and all around Adelaide you won't find any person who didn't also agree that Vince's concerts were the highlight of the festival mostly mm. every year. So I think a lot of Adelaideans are going to be thrilled about that. And then just to make a beautiful bookend, his I want to say his younger self, my arranger, Roscoe James, is coming and he's a trumpet player as well yeah. and he'll be doing the music of Chet Baker. Beautiful. So can you imagine? You've got these two contrasting and yet sort of one of the same sort of voices, just different iterations. It'll be lovely. And we'll also be hearing from you, of course. I will be performing with the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra. Could you get your bucket list any earlier in your life? Imagine Imagine, what a thrill. And I'll be performing My Life as a Symphony, which is all of these lovely tracks that I've revisited and reimagined with Roscoe James arranging. And I'm performing the day after the gala. So the gala's all done and dusted. Everyone bought their tickets and I'm inviting everyone to come and join us for the next night with the Adelaide Symphony because I've got 40 years celebrating my career and I've cherry-picked songs that are very important to me and I have some real emotional relationship to and and then they've just been set on fire by the orchestra. Fabulous. 40 years, 30 studio albums, performing all the time, touring all the time. What's next for Kate Sobrano? Do you know? (laughs) No, I don't know. I don't really think I ever really know. I'm always chasing something. But as I see my daughter's career creating now within herself and where she's headed as an artist and a, and a musician, I think the next great adventure will to be seeing what Gypsy did next. And I'll definitely be there doing what my mother did for me, which is to support, promote and try to help her sustain her own sense of self and be the truest artist she can be for herself. That would be a great thing to be able to do in my lifetime. Beautiful. Kate is such a vivacious presence. Her charisma and confidence is matched by her humility. Kate has had a remarkable career on and off stage and it was special to hear how she reflected on the Adelaide Festival Centre for its part in her journey. It was such a pleasure to peek behind the curtain and to get a greater sense of who Kate Sobrano is as an artist. She lives so authentically on and off the stage, exactly how you would imagine her to be. There is so much to admire about Kate's work and her outlook. But most of all, I admire how she is with people, truly passing on the legacy of a strong, inspirational woman for her daughter and for many other artists. If you're in Adelaide in June, you have the chance to see Kate capture the magic on stage as she performs in the 2023 Adelaide Cabaret Festival with the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra on Saturday the 10th of June as part of her national tour. You can catch a lot of other acts in June too at the Cabaret Festival, which runs from the 9th to the 24th, and the full program of all the incredible acts are at the Adelaide Festival Centre website. See you there. If you enjoyed this audio experience, rate the podcast and share it with your friends and family so we can all enjoy the rich cultural experiences South Australia has to offer. In the meantime, if you need an entertainment fix, why not see a show? You can find out what fantastic performances are currently showing on the Adelaide Festival Centre website and social media. Search Adelaide Festival Centre or follow the links in the episode description. 
I'm Libby O'Donovan, and you're listening to The First 50 Podcast, produced by Solstice Podcasting and the Adelaide Festival Centre.